The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. You decided to come back for more. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Um, we are in the catechism, and we are on question number, I believe it's question 32, and we'll just review what we went through last week. Um, we are talking about the Holy Scriptures. We began by talking about the creeds, and it seems kind of strange, you know, of all the things that you could start with in a catechism, we start with what is a creed, talk about what creeds are, recite the Apostles' Creed, and then move on to the Holy Scriptures. Um, the, and, and some people might say, well, why not start with Jesus? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and and here, here's the answer in, 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 in essence. It's that you and I would not know Jesus outside of the church's continual witness, and that is a witness that uh, is both conformed to the creeds and also conformed to the, to the witness of Holy Scripture. Um, without that acting, you and I would not be, we would not have faith in Jesus at all. Um, there is a continuous action uh, of God revealing himself to his people, and then that divine revelation being held in trust by the living body of the church. Um, so I want to keep that before your mind to say, um, you know, we, we often become so individualized in our approach to Christian believing that we say, oh, but you know, it would all work out fine anyway because I believe in Jesus, isn't that great? It's like, yes, it's great, um, but it doesn't work out that way. Uh, and, here, and there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, one is that um, lots of people get very fanciful ideas about who Jesus Christ is, don't they? And in fact, have for many, many, many centuries. Um, people saying, well, I kind of think, I like to think of Jesus in this way. <laughs> and and, and, and our answer should be, that, that's nice, but it doesn't capture it. Um, I like to think of Jesus as kind of a human being that God adopted. Like, well, that doesn't capture it. Um, that's not what uh, has been given to us. Um, so I say that, that's to say that, that, um, that we, we begin with the creeds, we begin with the scriptures, um, because that is uh, where the church um, gains um, this living witness of Christ, this apostolic uh, witness. Okay. So we're at question 32. Well, actually, let's start. Let's go back to question 31, because this, this speaks to Holy Scripture being inspired. What does it mean that Holy Scripture is inspired? Holy Scripture is God-breathed, for the biblical authors wrote under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit to record God's Word. Um, what, this, what this means is that the Holy Spirit works through human authors uh, to, to record um, uh, God's Word. Um, and, and the understanding here is that God is continually speaking, yes? And he's speaking uh, through his Holy Spirit, uh, and the biblical authors receive this inspiration. Um, now, should we think of uh, God sort of speaking and whispering in the ear of the biblical authors? Is that a decent, is that a good way to do it? Is that a good way to think about it? Well, it, it can be, right? But, but it's more to say that these, these authors, the power behind what they write um, and, and the, uh, well, to put it simply, the inspiration behind what they write comes from God alone. And what that essentially means is that 
though, though the scriptures have human authors, the author is God. Um, so that's an important thing. What does it mean to, that the Bible is the word of God? Because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is rightly called the word of God written. God is revealed in his mighty works and in the incarnation of our Lord, but his works and his will are made known to us through the inspired words of scripture. God has spoken through the prophets and continues to speak through the Bible today. Um, in the Nicene Creed, we say that, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets um, in a unique way um, and continues to speak through Scripture today. Um, so that's to say that even though uh, Scripture was written at least almost 2,000 years ago, um, we can say rather strongly that God's continually speaking to his church through the words of Holy Scripture um, and, and this should be um, a wonderful comfort to us. Um, we'll, we'll think about it for a moment. And this is, this is part of the problem. Part of the problem is we sit there and we say, well, we've gotten so advanced today, haven't we? We know so much more than people who came before us. And, and we get what uh, C.S. Lewis often calls um, the, this chronological snobbery, right? Where we say, oh, well, we know so much more than those who came before us. And, you know, I think as ancient historians and others can tell us, we really don't. I mean, the fact, that, the, fact, the fact that we're surrounded by technology all the time and we're surrounded by electricity when 100 years ago we weren't, it doesn't mean that we deal with different stuff as human beings. Uh, though cultures change, yes, um, you know, the reality of it is that everybody's dealing with the same garbage, right? I mean, okay. Did we somehow figure out how to stop sinning? No. <laughs> Did we somehow figure out how to, how to address the malaise in human life? No. Um, and the other thing is that because when, when we Christians speak about what is at the center of our faith, which is the incarnation of Jesus, um, is that something that, that can change in the witness to it? No more than the, than the facts of any event in history can change. Um, and that's often frustrating to people, and it's often frustrating to many, but, but that's, that's just the, the most basic truth of it, um, is that uh, because God has entered into history in Jesus, um, this, this incarnate word, um, there's a reliability behind the scriptures because they testify to Jesus. Um, It'd be like saying, in a sense, I mean, a lot of this would be like saying, well, you know, eyewitnesses are fine and all, but, you know, 2,000 years after the fact, I'd sort of like to contradict some of it. <laughs> Maybe we can rework it. Um, the scriptures are reliable for that reason. Why is Jesus Christ called the Word of God? The fullness of God's revelation is found in Jesus Christ, who not only fulfills the scriptures, but is himself God's Word, the living expression of God's mind. The scriptures testify about him, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. I love that uh, phrase from uh, St. Jerome. By the way, if you don't know who St. Jerome is, uh, St. Jerome was one of the most, well, would be the really great biblical translator who translated the whole of both the Old and New Testaments into Latin, um, and just a, a real hero. Um, but Jerome knew something very important, which is that uh, if you really want to know Christ, where do you look? To the biblical witness. Um, and not just to the Gospels, 
right? I think there's, there's also this attitude that says, well, if you, if, if you want to know Jesus, just, just read the Gospels. Okay, well, that's a good start. But we Christians actually teach that the whole of Scripture testifies to Christ. And we mentioned that before. Um, as St. Augustine says, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Um, we should be looking in the Old Testament uh, for Jesus Christ to show up. Um, and in fact, the church fathers are very good at this, and we've become less good at it. <laughs> um, we're always missing these, these, uh, these, uh, the, the, the fact that, that Christ is, in a sense, concealed in the Old Testament. Um, what we say in this answer is, is actually fairly simple and straightforward, and that is that, uh, first, the fullness of God's revelation of himself, his self-revelation, is met in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, as one author has said, you know, um, all that God could say, he said in one word, um, and that word is Jesus. Um, if you want to know who God is and you want to meet God, who, who do you meet him in? Jesus. Um, and Jesus not only fulfills the scriptures, but is, and this is, this is important, but is in his divine person God's living word. Um, and this means that, and this, if you think about the Trinity for just a second, I don't want to stretch your minds out too far at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, but, but consider the divine Trinity, this eternal communion of persons of which uh, the word of God, the, the divine son, is a member, is one of the persons. Um, that means that, that this word of God has, has, uh, is eternally begotten of the Father. There's never been a time when the word was not, okay? Uh, over and against the Arians, who said, well, you know, there was a time when the word was not. Uh, but, but Orthodox Christianity has always said, the word is eternally begotten by the Father. Um, it's not like God the Father just sort of woke up one day and started talking. Um, this is a continual word which proceeds from his mouth. Um, and in Jesus, this word becomes incarnate. This word takes on human flesh, this eternal word of the Father. All right, so that's pretty grand, pretty earth-shattering, yes? Pretty important? Okay. How should Holy Scripture be interpreted? Just as Holy Scripture was not given through private interpretation of things, so it must also be translated, read, preached, taught, and obeyed in its plain and canonical sense, respectful of the church's historic and sensual reading of it. Okay. Um, we as uh, global Anglicans within a global fellowship of Anglicans who confess the faith, which is called the, uh, the, uh, the Fellowship of Confessing Anglicans, uh, also known as GAFCON, which is actually just the name of our conference. Um, this, is, this is language lifted directly from that. Um, and the language that's in the Jerusalem Declaration from 10 years ago is precise for this reason, that there's an ongoing debate about this, not only in Anglicanism, but, around the, but throughout the Christian uh, universe, uh, about how scripture ought to be interpreted. And it's here that the Jerusalem Declaration speaks definitively about this. First, it's that Scripture is not given through any private interpretation. Um, think about it this way. Did the apostles in their, in their meeting of Christ sort of say, well, my interpretation of what happened is this, and I know that your interpretation was different, but, you know, let's just agree to disagree. Is that what happened? In fact, we know from Scripture that that's not what happened. Um, Think of Paul. Paul in Galatians says, 
you know, he went up by revelation to the apostles gathered in Jerusalem to lay his gospel before them. Uh, and, and the reason for this is to make sure that it's not in any way different. That this apostolic witness which Paul carries is not a different witness to the gospel which Jesus delivered. And what happens? They extend to him the right hand of fellowship, um, which, which means, in essence, not different, okay? It's the same gospel. In fact, this is Paul's entire thing. He's like, if anyone should preach a gospel contrary to the one I preach to you, what? Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Um, this is to say that, that, uh, that when we receive the testimony of, of, of the Christian faith, when we receive the gospel, we, we cannot receive it on our own private interpretive terms because it doesn't work that way. Um, we receive it whole, in full. Okay, and because of this, uh, Scripture must be translated. Okay. You know this, right? That uh, Scripture wasn't sort of handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai in perfect King James English. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page about that. <laughs> um, it has to be translated. And there's an old saying that the translator is a traitor, um, and in many ways that's absolutely true. Uh, but, but, but faithful translation really matters. Um, and this is why that translation work is so important. Um, it's why churches will get up in arms about uh, differences in translation. And very often, translations will betray um, the uniqueness of the translator rather than the uniqueness of Scripture. Um, and that's a problem when that happens. Scripture must be read. Um, this is a, this kind of seems like an obvious statement. Um, but, but we read Scripture and I'll say, we'll give the qualifiers at the end, but, but we have to read Scripture um, in, order to, in order to really get at um, um, what Scripture holds forth to us. Um, and we not only have to read it privately, but we have to read it in church. I know that sounds like a novel idea to a lot of people. <laughs> just, a lot of churches have just stopped reading Scripture together. Um, it's just sort of assumed you, you brought your Bible, so you'll read along, um, or you, you've read it in advance but we have to read Scripture together. This is important. Um, scripture must be preached. Scripture must be taught. And above all, Scripture must be obeyed. Um, but how? Well, the Catechism tells us. It has to be translated, read, preached, taught, and obeyed in its plain and canonical sense. Now, a lot of people will say, all we really have to get at to get to the truth is the plain meaning of Scripture. Um, and in a sense, that's absolutely right. That... that um, the first sense in which we read Scripture is that literal sense. Yes? Where we just say, okay, this is what Scripture says. Um, it doesn't take a PhD to figure it out. This is it. Um, and yes, that's, that's, basically, that's basically the truth. Um, but we also have to read it in the canonical sense. What does this mean? Well, it means we have to be uh, attentive to... Um, not only the rest of Scripture, okay, so, so the rest of the canon of Scripture. Remember, canon means list, so you have to be, pay attention to the rest of Scripture. We have to read it in context with the whole of Scripture. This is why taking your one sentence out of one letter of Paul and spinning an entire theology from it is never a good idea, okay? Uh, because if you read in Colossians, he is the firstborn uh, of all creation, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. What can you say? That means Jesus was born, like his person was created, right? Hold up. 
right? That's not what it means. Uh, and, and if you read within the canon of Scripture, you'll know that. So that's just one example. It's my favorite example uh, because it's a historic uh, problem. Um, we also read it, and this is important as well, we read it within the canon of received uh, ecclesial teaching on these matters. Right? So we read the Scriptures um, almost like this. We read it with a creed in one hand and a Bible in the other to say um, that, that, uh, that any reading which contradicts the creeds is going off the rails. Um, respectful of the church's historic and consensual reading of it. So I will just stand before you and tell you, I believe the church has a historic reading of Scripture. Um, we can actually know what that is. We can, we can read of it. We can, we can discover it. Um, so there are certain issues that come up, and, and you say, well, what has the church taught through these many centuries about these things? Um, and if we wind up proclaiming something which is novel, um, then we've probably gone off the rails. Um, I will also say that there's a consensual reading. And what this means is that when you pick up a Bible, okay, um, you're consenting to have, uh, to have your mind, uh, you're, you're actually giving your mind into someone else's hands to be taught. I realize that's a very novel exercise, uh, but it's absolutely important. You're saying, I not only want to know what the scriptures have to teach me, but I also want to know what other Christians have to teach me about this. Um, because the reality of it is that if somebody went out and said, hey, I'm going to take my Bible out in the, out in the wilderness, and I'm going to start a new church, based only on my personal reading, it's going to be off. Um, because Every Christian reads Scripture this way, or at least we should. We read it in consent uh, to the whole. Um, that's important. Okay. And I should, just one more thing. We, we do that because um, as Christians, we're, member, we're members of a body. What we do, what we teach, what we believe, how we pray, how we act, has an effect on the wider body of Christ. Um, and in a sense, our, our uh, going astray from that um, leads to division, and in many cases, it leads to schism. And, and, and I would say as well, it damages the witness. So we've got to be very attentive to this. And, and I'll be the first one to tell you, this is not easy, okay? It's not easy. Um, there are a lot of questions where you could ask me, you could ask me a question, so, so if that's true, then why not this? I'd say, I don't know, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it some attention. <laughs> um, so I hope that helps. It's just to say that... that, um, that we are, and this is probably the thing that I'll, that I'll before taking this question, um, we don't build our faith on a new foundation. Okay, you just don't. Um, we build it on top of what has been laid down before. Um, and ancient people were very good at this. You know, if you ever go out to an archaeological dig in some place like Israel, you'll see that they just build on top of old foundations, right? Because it's like, well, the house was fine. The house was bad, but the foundation was good. So we'll just tear the house down and build on top of that foundation. And that's how you get layer after layer after layer of civilization on these archaeological tells. Um, and, and that's an analogy that even Paul uses to, to speak to how we do this. We just build right up on top. Um, so, hope that helps. Go ahead.
Yep. Ah, yes. Okay. Yep. Sure. So there's two questions. One is, which translation do we use at Christchurch? And that symbol, it's, it's the RSV. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one is that, um, well, this is a practical reason. Uh, I'd love to use the ESV, but we can't get a complete ESV with the Apocrypha, which we include, and I'll answer that in coming questions. Uh, so for the purposes of like reading the daily office or even on Sundays, it's pretty much useless. Um, uh, which is to say, yes, it's good to have a copy of the, of the ESV, but we can't use it with the lectionary, so it's, it's kind of inconsequential. Um, so, yeah, if you want to follow along, it's the RSV, um, and we preach from the RSV, and, and, uh, and there are lots of liturgical resources for using that, so I hope that helps. Um, the other is, you know, the creeds don't deal with secondary issues, and this is actually a contemporary debate, right? So here, I'll just frame it for you. The creeds, for instance, don't speak about what Orthodox Christian teaching is with regard to marriage. So are you free to believe whatever you want with regard, with regard to marriage, since the creeds don't speak to it? And also, should we just assume that those are second order things because they're not named out in the creeds? Let me answer that as best I can, okay? This is one of the great things about being an Anglican. You just say, okay, let me say it again. Our final authority is the scriptures. And they're to be read in the plain and canonical sense, respectful of church's historic and consensual reading. Okay? So, does that clarify it? You just, you just say, like, <clears throat> there is a consensus on this. I mean, especially a historic consensus. Just because we're somewhat, and I say somewhat divided today on such issues, uh, does not mean the church as a whole throughout space and time is divided. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, so, does that help? Okay. You just say, uh, we, there is a historic and consensual reading. Um, yeah. And, and, and I will also gladly contest the idea that there is such a thing as second-order biblical truth. Okay? Just, just on the face, right? Because if Scripture is the authority, right, first, final authority, right? Then is anything that's biblical second order truth? Who gets to decide? Me? Not really. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? So, so that's, that's, a, that's a significant problem. And, you know, we also do these kind of fun little mental games like saying, well, but surely that's not a salvation issue. Well, this is why we Anglicans say that scripture, Holy Scripture contains all things necessary to salvation. Everything that's scriptural is a salvation issue. Okay. So have I clarified it enough? Okay, good. <laughs> that, that's just to say that fidelity to the scriptures is, is, is salvation. I mean, in a, in a very basic sense because it's fidelity to Christ. Okay. All right. So we clear? All right. I, I think some of that confusion is sown um, <clears throat> mainly because put it clearly. Well, there are two things that are faulty. One is that there's, there's a faulty understanding of Scripture as being something that's held up, interpreted within the living body of the church. And that brings up the second point, which is that there's a kind of 
faulty ecclesiology at play, right? So, for instance, um, I've, I've heard of, of uh, pastors who are asked, like, well, what would you do in this situation? And he'll say, well, I don't know what, I don't know what my church teaches on that question. Well, if you come to me with the same question, I'm going to say, yeah, I know what the church teaches on this question. Okay? Because our ecclesiology as Anglicans encompasses the whole of the church. Okay? Not just our little part here in Waco, Texas. All right? That, that happens to be walking around at this very moment. <laughs> okay? It, we're, we encompass the whole church throughout time. Okay. Does, that, does that help? I think it's just to say that, that we're, getting, we're getting through that. All right. How should belief in the God of the Bible affect your life? Ooh. As I prayerfully learn Holy Scripture, I should expect the Holy Spirit to use it to teach, rebuke, correct, and train me in the righteousness that God desires. This nourishes my soul towards the service of God and my neighbor. Okay. So we always want to ask in the catechism, and you'll note these happen all the time, where it's like, so what does it matter? Um, here's, where, here's where it matters. Um, belief in the God of the Bible should affect our lives. Um, and, and we should be prayerfully learning Holy Scripture. This is to say, I, I'm often the first one to sit down with a bunch of commentaries, right, and just dig in and read the New Testament in Greek, which my Greek is not great, but it's good enough, right, and, and just lay into it. Um, I've got to be reminded that I have to approach Scripture prayerfully. Um, with my, my pride and my ego in check. Because when you approach Scripture with your ego in play, what happens? It's a disaster, right? Because, uh, you know, St. Augustine once wrote that, you know, if you believe what you want in the Gospels and reject the rest, it's not the Bible you believe, it's yourself. Well, that stings, right? Um, that's the truth of it, though. That, that if we reject um, what just happens to strike us as odd or weird or uh, nonsense, then we believe ourselves. And that's not the purpose of Holy Scripture. The purpose of Holy Scripture is to draw us, uh, to check our ego at the door, submit ourselves to divine revelation, and, and learn. And so in that vein, we should expect that the Holy Spirit will use Scripture to teach us, um, <clears throat> to rebuke us, you know, we're going to come to Scripture aware of our sin, aware of our pride. And Scripture is used always to, to keep us in check, uh, to lead us to repentance, um, and to correct and train me in the righteousness that God desires. This is lifted straight from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Um, and why does, you remember, remember what Paul says about this? He says that Scripture is used in this manner, uh, that the Christian may be complete, uh, lacking in nothing. Um, the other thing I'd say is that um, our souls must be nourished. You know, if you go for days and days and days without eating, what happens? Do you really not know? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you start to get sick. You start to get kind of. You start to languish, and then ultimately you just die. Right? Um, this, the Christian must be nourished by Scripture. Um, now, there are a great many other things to nourish the Christian, too, and we'll get to those, right? I mean, I would say that just as, the, just as the Christian is nourished through Scripture, the Christian is nourished 
through communion, through the, through the Eucharist. Um, but that's, that's an important point. Okay, question 36. How should you use the Holy Scriptures in daily life? I should hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, so that by patience and strengthening through God's Word, I may embrace and cling to the hope of everlasting life given to me in Jesus Christ. I should read and pray Scripture daily, that I may know God's truth and proclaim it clearly to the whole world. This lovely phrase, hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, is lifted directly uh, from the original prayer book Collects, um, which were compiled by the great Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, who was the uh, Anglican reformer um, and uh, an author of the first prayer book. Um, and this is part, I mean, there are lots of like moments of Cranmer genius, right? This is one of the best. Um, listen to how that flows off the tongue. Hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Um, it's beautiful. But there's a progression, isn't there? See it? You start by hearing. Why do you start by hearing? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Cranmer had a great connection with the Continental Reformers, particularly the Lutherans. And the Lutherans were intent upon this emphasis upon hearing. Faith, remember, faith comes by hearing. Why were the early Lutherans intent on this? Oh, because they were Thomists, right, <laughs> in a sense. And, and Thomas Aquinas says, remember, faith comes by hearing. Why did, why did Thomas believe it? Because it's what Paul teaches. <laughs> faith comes by hearing. Why did Paul believe it? It's because it's what Jesus teaches, right? The, the first mode of faith is through the ears. Right? We hear the word of God. I mean, there's a direct line from your ear to your heart, Okay? We often think it goes from ear to brain. It actually goes ear to heart to brain. Um, I think. That's my anthropology. Okay. So, so the, word, the word goes in your ear. And then it goes here. Um, this is why it's essential that, that we have excellent readers at church. Right? And we've got great readers at church. Um, sometimes, sometimes they bring their skills to bear in amazing ways. So when you come, you know, this next year when you come to the Easter Vigil, which I hope you will, um, man, the readers turn it up a notch, and it gets amazing. It's it's incredible. Like they bring all of their powers of of, uh, of reading to bear, and it's and it's inspiring. Okay. Um, we read scripture. Cranmer even early 16th century has a vision that Christians will be able to read Scripture. And how can you have a Christian nation if people don't read Scripture on their own? Okay. So he's, he's intent on this. Um, we must also mark. Does this mean going through with a highlighter and seven different colored pencils? <laughs> no, he didn't quite foresee that phenomenon taking place. In fact, I think he would have been horrified by it. What, is, what does he mean here? He means obey, to mark their words, um, to, to hear them in such a way that our lives are altered by the words of Scripture. Okay. Also to learn the Scripture. And this doesn't mean to, um, to sort of, uh, you know, just kind of know some things about the Bible. Um, it, actually, it actually goes deeper than that. It goes to knowing uh, Scripture backwards and forwards. Um, such that you become like a living chain reference Bible, 
okay? Uh, with the ability to connect all these things together. It doesn't just mean memorization, although it should, and it, I think it does, uh, but it means speaking scripture, okay? One of, the, one of my favorite uh, things that was often said about St. Augustine is that the man spoke scripture like a language. And, and I have to say, I aspire to that. I aspire to be able to link Scripture together constantly and, 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 uh, and to, to never lose the ability to uh, constantly be speaking the words of Scripture. Next, to inwardly digest. I love it. You know, if you're going to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, like food, uh, is it enough to, to simply know Scripture? In a sense, you have to eat it, right? You have to eat the words. Um, you, have to, you have to meditate on Scripture to such an extent that uh, Scripture, um, that you become living Scripture, um, which is an amazing thought, right? That, that, that it becomes part of us. Um, Kramer continues on in this collect, but the, the catechism question puts it, the catechism answer puts it quite well. Um, there's a certain amount of patience required here. Um, you know, I think we have this kind of idea that people can become an expert overnight and people can become, like, proficient in things uh, very quickly. And the reality of it is that when it comes to the study of Scripture, it takes a long, long time. A long time. Um, and so we should say it's going to take us basically our whole life to do it. Um, and this is only right. I remember I had, a, I had a professor in seminary who was a bishop and New Testament scholar, um, and he had been, he had gotten a PhD in the 1950s, and uh, he could quote the New Testament in Greek from his brain and translate on the fly. And when he preached, this was what he did. Um, and, and when he prayed, this is what he did. You could catch references to scripture in his prayers. Um, just an amazing man. But the most important thing about him was, was not that he knew Scripture so well, it's that he knew Jesus. And he knew Jesus well because he knew Scripture. So hear that. It takes a lifetime. Um, and we're strengthened by God's Word as we do this. Uh, but listen to that. That I may embrace and cling to the hope of everlasting life given to me in Jesus Christ. We read Scripture so that we can cling to Jesus. Um, and, and I would say this, when we let go of the study of Scripture, when we let go of the reading of Scripture, when we let go of, of hearing Scripture proclaimed, what we lose is not just Scripture. Okay? We lose Jesus in the midst of that. All right. um, and this leads us to say one last thing about this, and that is that we should be reading and praying through Scripture daily. Um, now, in, in, in coming sections... Uh, we're going to say a bit about uh, the Anglican practice of the daily office. Um, does anybody know what the daily office is? It's kind of an interesting thing. Okay, you're all you're all good catechumens, so you know there's no no it hasn't really quite caught up with you yet. Uh, but a number of people at Christ Church and throughout the Anglican world since the early days have prayed um, this daily pattern of morning prayer and evening prayer, um, whereby we read uh, <clears throat> from Scripture. Uh, in course, morning and evening. And if you do it at the pace set forward, and, and we're working actually through a new daily office lectionary, so if you come to morning prayer, 
here, uh, we, we pray morning prayer here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and also at the Guttiger's house uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and I think on campus we're praying morning prayer uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays in Robin's Chapel. We pray evening prayer and evensong on Wednesday evenings, uh, so you can fill in the rest on your own. But but really, if you pray with Christ Church, you can you can do the daily office, you know, most days without having without having to be on your own. Um, but we're working through this new daily office lectionary that's actually based on an old one, um, and the glory of it is this: if you do it, you'll read the Gospels every three months. You'll read the Old Testament every two years, if not faster. Um, you'll read through the entire New Testament epistles and Revelation and the Acts of the Apostles every six months. And you'll read through the Psalter every two months. Do you know how much Scripture that exposes you to if you really stick with it? It's an unbelievable lot of Scripture. Um, and, and I find that my, my reading of Scripture is improved by praying the daily office. Now, I read Scripture on my own as well, but the daily office provides you with, and, and if you really want to get some good resources on this, um, I think a number of people are happy to provide you with this. Um, you can go on the uh, Anglican Church of North America website, and if you hit Text for Common Prayer, there's a daily office lectionary, and you'll see it's by day, and it gives you the whole year. Um, but here's the thing, right? If you try to read the scriptures cover to cover, has anybody tried to do this? Anybody been successful? <laughs> I tried. I think I got, when I was like nine years old, I think I got to judges or something uh, before I just gave up and, and said, this is a waste of time. Uh, it wasn't really, but, um, but here's part of the problem. Scripture's not meant to be read cover to cover. It's a book of books. So you've got to scatter your reading enough uh, to... to enliven your imagination uh, to keep things fresh. Um, and so even, even these like Bible in a year books that you can get, they don't work particularly well either um, because you're reading one book at a time and it's sort of moving around and doing things. But really the best plan for reading scripture is a daily office lectionary and we provide those. It's, it's a magnificent way to read scripture. And it, you know, it'll take you half an hour a day. Um, so there's my plug. Okay. Um, and, and, the great thing is, if you do the daily office prayers that go with it, it'll take half an hour, and, and you'll find that, that you're praying through Scripture. Um, and really, one of the best things about praying the daily office with other people is, and not on your own, is um, that somebody else reads it to you. And there's something really wonderful about having another voice reading Scripture to you. Um, it's a bit like why I like audiobooks so much. Um, it, there's something about the emphasis, there's something about the public reading that, that really gets in you in a certain sense. Okay. And not only that, but we've all had the occasion of reading the daily office and um, afterwards we'll have a wonderful, lively discussion about scripture. Um, it just happens. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Or what I, what, one last thing that I'll add in is when I first started to really pray the daily office with other people, I would often notice that there would be hysteric laughter in the midst of the reading. And at first I was kind of annoyed by it, like, why are you laughing? This is, this is the Bible. Don't you know it's serious? And then I started to like think, wait, hold on. That was hilarious. <laughs> and so you start to figure out like, oh my goodness, some of this stuff is pricelessly funny. Um, and, and so that often helps too, because you're reading it in, in a community that has this kind of uh, common response um, you start to realize that, and it's not just about the funny parts, it's about everything. It's about that um, 
reading scripture together and someone, someone starts to tear up in the midst of it uh, because the reading is so powerful and the, and the content is so powerful. Or um, you're reading scripture together and someone at the end of that reading, uh, after the prayers are done, says, man, that hit me really hard this morning. Let me share with you some things. That's where, that's where there's gold. Uh, so there it is. We're going to finish it up today. What other books does the church acknowledge? The canon of Holy Scripture contains all things necessary to salvation. The 14 books of the Apocrypha may also be read for example of life and instruction of manners, but not to establish any doctrine. We Anglicans, um, how should I put this? We believe that Scripture, which is the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, are Holy Scripture. Uh, they contain all things necessary to salvation. Uh, those texts are the Bible, okay? They are Holy Scripture. When we say contains all things necessary to salvation, uh, we say that if it's not contained in Holy Scripture, um, uh, it cannot be required to be believed of anyone, okay? Got that clear? Okay. So when we read the Apocrypha, we do not read it to prove doctrine, um, but we do read it. Well, why do we read it? because Christians have always read it. <laughs> um, old habits die hard. <laughs> um, and so we, re- we do. We read, we read the scriptures, um, and, and we read the Apocrypha. Um, in fact, this is kind of a great historic note, but, but when the King James Bible was produced in the early 17th century, um, there was a, an accompanying royal decree that if any printer should print the Bible without the Apocrypha, they were to be beheaded. <laughs> Um, well, well, why? Why that insistence? <laughs> Sounds kind of crazy, actually. Well, because there's this, there's this thought that says, well, well why, should, why should we print it that way? And, and the answer is simple, that, that that's how it's been printed. Um, and not only that, but if we're going to have these texts read in church, we've got to have a complete Bible. And it was really only in the late 19th century that anyone thought to print Bibles without the Bible. Um, and so there's another, the, the kind of Darby uh, world started to not print the Apocrypha. Um, and, and recently, it's very lamentable that um, most American Bible printers will not print the Apocrypha. So the ESV is a great example. However, that's all about to change. I'm very excited. Um, you know, uh, one of the projects that we've started on in the ACNA is to say, hey, uh, can we get a complete copy of the ESV with Apocrypha? Would that be possible, like printed in, I don't know, calf leather? Uh, and, and, you know, you put enough people out there and say, we'll buy it if you print it, and, and people will print it. And so that's coming out next summer. I'm very excited about it. Uh, and, and so you can get this. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a great triumph. Um, but, you know, I, w- I would say about the Apocrypha. Um, it's clear enough to me that, that Jesus read the Apocrypha, it's clear enough to me that the apostles read the Apocrypha. Um, it's also clear enough to me that uh, their canonical status at that time was not certain, um, but they were certainly reading it. Um, and so that's been kind of the church's tradition to say, well, well, there's no certain canonical um, uh, status for these texts, but we do read them. Um, and, well, let me just say it. If you're looking for good bedtime stories for your kids, the Apocrypha is flush with them. Um, if you're looking for a good bedtime story for yourself, the Apocrypha is flush with it. Um, and if you really want to understand, I would say as well, if you really want to understand what's going on between the 2nd century B.C. and the 1st century A.D., read the Apocrypha. 
I mean, if you want the history of the Maccabean Revolt, um, uh, Greek interactions with Judaism and, and the Jewish people, it's all there in the Apocrypha. This is where we can understand that history leading up to the Incarnation. So I want to offer that to you as a great opportunity. Um, go ahead. Okay, so this is one of the great things about the Apocrypha. It has very little doctrinal content, if any. Um, so it really is kind of like a non-starter anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. Um, uh, most of the Apocrypha is poetry and stories. So um, that's really a great thing. And, and I would say this as well. One of the reasons for this is in the Reformation, certain, certain people, in the, especially the Counter-Reformation later on, were using the Apocrypha to prove things. Um, and, and I think the Anglican response is, you can't use that as Holy Scripture when its canonical status has never been clear. Uh, is that helpful? Okay, good. All right, we will wrap this up. Thank you very much.